Welcome to Pomcast. First, a message from our sponsors. Shapius are a family business producing quality knitting and crochet yarns based in the Netherlands. They work closely with designers and bloggers to bring you a constant flow of beautiful designs and projects to keep your needles and hook busy all year long. Shapius' speciality is offering yarns in a huge selection of colours. Many of their lines are available in over 100 colours. 100? Ooh, so many. Shapius yarns can be purchased worldwide. Check out the shop finder on their website, shapius.com. And to spell that, because it's a fun sounding word, that is S-C-H-E-E-P-J-E-S dot com. And you'll be able to find your closest shop. Hello! And welcome to Pomcast. This is the podcast brought to you by Pom Pom Quarterly, don't you know? It's a sunny day in London. I'm Sophie Scott. I'm joined, as I always am, with Lydia Gluck. Hello! I say always. Sometimes one of us are ducked in and out. <laughs> it's true. But uh, I guess frequently. Frequently, yes. <laughs> and we are here to share our thoughts on knitting, mm-hmm. uh, unique and varied as they are. Yes. Our thoughts on the world of craft and making. Yes. And the world beyond, if you can believe there is a world outside of these things. No, it's a sort of little shadowy to us sometimes, but it does exist. Shadowy. Um, <laughs> Clo- coated in cloth. Yeah, exactly. Um, sometimes we talk about the weather. Yes, I- <laughs> Tick. All right, first thing done. <laughs> Sometimes you talk about food. Oh, many a time. And, uh, well, we talk about what the magazine Pom Pom Quarterly is up to. For indeed, that is the foundation, shall we say, <laughs> our cast on for this uh, this uh, ramblings and thoughts. Yes, much of it's silly, and we hope you enjoy. Yes, well, what we recommend is uh, grabbing a project. Maybe you already have. You've settled down with your latest uh, knitting project. Or crochet. Or crochet. Indeed, we are multi-craftual. We mm-hmm. welcome all crafts. Maybe mm-hmm. doing a bit of sewing. Okay, we're not going to list all the crafts. <laughs> um, and yeah, settle down. We're going to tell you all the news of what's uh, new with Pom Pom Land. Uh, we've got interesting reviews and interview. This mm-hmm. uh, this episode, we're chatting to Amy Small of uh, Knit Collage. And she mm. is, speaking of how sunshiny it is, she is the weather today in a person. Just the loveliest, sunshiniest creative soul so very happy we could have a chat with her Mm. um we've also got uh top three one of our classic um classic sections shall we say yeah it's really stayed with us that one oh yeah (laughs) from the very (laughs) get-go surprisingly so text files which is a new would i say it's my favorite feature at the moment maybe i would and uh lots of stuff in between so Mm -hmm. uh let's just jump right into what we've been up to you know lydia i see you no, on uh, every day. <laughs> Tell me, what's new with you? Well, I was trying to remember. I should have just listened. I can't remember how much house moving was discussed in the last episode. Do you um, know if I had moved by then or not? I don't think so. I don't think I had. But listeners, I have moved house. There's been a lot of moving overall, if you've been listening over the last yeah. few episodes. Um, hence, we did our top three moving tips, which I implemented uh, during my oh, move. Oh, good. That was the sound of me putting one hand against the other in a kind of motion of like um, moving <laughs> moving but also like yes getting things done Good. um yeah so i moved and that was very lovely we are still missing various important items of furniture such as um sofas and tables <laughs> well wherever you find your knitting that's your home exactly and my knitting is certainly in my new home good so that's very exciting Woo-hoo. um 
That's one of the main things I've done. Mm -hmm. And how about you, Sophs? Well, I went to the Americas and went to TNNA, which is uh, short for the National Needle Arts Association. If Mm -hmm. you've listened to this podcast before, uh, you'll know that we go every year. We were there again. Uh, So it's a trade show of the fiber types. Mm -hmm. And it's a real gem to meet the people who like, oh, we stock pom-pom and we think it's really cool. So uh, that's... That's gratifying, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's nice to hear within that that, you know, you guys are supporting your local yarn shops. I think that's maybe the main thing I took away from it. Like mm. this amazing community that we have of people who are supporting independent and, uh, you know, pioneering, I guess, the people uh-huh. who are like starting these uh, like spaces where people can create. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you can learn so much. Yeah. Like, we worked in local yarn shops ourselves in Lou. Two, uh, yeah. Um, and I think it's safe to say that both of us learned a lot whilst working there, both mm. from, like, the other staff who worked together and from customers and just from being around all that yarn. Mm. So support your local yarn shop, and we're happy <laughs> to be supporting people, uh, you know, through all the publications we do. I can tell some little sneaky news then. We've got... I think we've mentioned it already on the podcast, but we're talking more about um, issue 26. Mm-hmm. We should talk a little bit more about uh, coming up, which is moon themed. <gasps> so we got lots of people excited about that. And um, our big winter publication, which will be Knits About Winter. Uh, if you can't remember what's coming out, just think about the title. Oh, yeah, winter. <laughs> and uh, that's with Emily Foden of Viola Yarns. So uh, to be able to sort of give more sneaky peeks, um, woolly hints about that, that was great. And I feel like I should talk about food that I experienced because that's always a yes, yes, a big point. I went for pierogies, which I'd never Ooh. had. Uh, a very uh, quintessential, what one would call a dive bar, mm. but everybody said, "Oh, this is a very nice dive bar." So, um, <laughs> a place called the Prosperity Social Club in Cleveland, Ohio, which I recommend if anyone finds himself there. <laughs> and I was very impressed with Cleveland's very pretty city. And that's America in a nutshell. <laughs> Well, I have not been to America um, in the last which is a while, which, which is, is weird. Yeah. Yeah. Normally I've been over there. I did go to my first ever stag do. Stag. Stag. Um, not this weekend, but the one before. A very close friend of mine, Louis, is marrying his wonderful fiance. And um, I'm very close to him. And I now know his fiance, but he mm-hmm. is my main connection to the couple. Right. And I was very pleased to find out he was having a all genders... Welcome, all stags, all stags, stags and stagging. does. Yeah, <laughs> um, party, and so that was very lovely. And what did you do? That. We had a bonfire mm. um, on the marshes in North London, which has been a, a thing that, as a group of friends, we've done many summers. We have a um, habit of going up there and having a fire, maybe playing some guitar songs, maybe having a few drinks guitar and songs. some snacks. I like that. Very... Guitar songs. Yeah, yeah very specific. Um, yeah, so we did that, and that was uh, delightful. That's probably most of my news is. That's charming. Well, let's move on to... That was a little POM news sprinkled in there. Mm. But um, I said about issue 26, which is our autumn issue, which is coming out, sort of looking at that around August. We did the photo shoot. We sure and... did. What? <laughs> Again, we're always biased. We're like, oh, this issue is going to be amazing. But the with the fact that it's the lunar issue... So we're taking lots of kind of ethereal yarns and like a little bit of sparkle. Mm -hmm. Um, It's pretty exciting. It's a very dreamy kind of collection. And I say probably a colour scheme that's not typical of POM. It's a little bit more muted maybe. 
Definitely, yeah. So we've been, um, I don't know if it's been that obvious from the outside, but I feel like over the last maybe year, mm-hmm. we've had more specific pared down palettes often, um, which has been an exciting move. And I think um, like an interesting one for us in terms of putting our collections together. And because of the moon influence, we've gone for a lot of kind of dark, uh, or sort of, I guess we went for moon and sky. Yeah. <laughs> that comes along with moon. I think it's dark. It's like midnight and twilight colours. Mm. That's how I kind of sum it up. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly it. Yeah, so it is um, a little unusual for the mm. palm. But very exciting. There's a lot of mohair, or moo hair, as I predicted. <laughs> what happened? I forgot about that. <laughs> you said it at some point this shit. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> moo hair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's... Um, there's some really, really beautiful stuff. I know. We, We're biased, but I, know, I think I'm, it really is. <laughs> of course, we will keep you up to date as to when you can find out more about this. Can we give some names, maybe, of designers who people can expect? I think so. So, Emily Foden, who mm-hmm. we mentioned already. Yep. Melanie Berg. Indeed. We've also got Anna of Dandelion Yarns fame. Mm-hmm. Um, so, her yarn was used for the Palmetto cardigan that was um, designed by... Amelia Jensen, that was in our autumn issue last year, issue 22. But this time, it's not only her yarn, but also her design. Yes, that was a good linkage of palm there, <laughs> the linear of palm. Yeah. <laughs> how everyone connects. Um, yeah, and lots of other wonderful peoples. Um, yeah, so we're getting really excited about that one now. Yeah. It's always fun when we do the shoot because, you know, we start working on these issues probably about six months in advance, possibly a little bit more, depending what it is. Um, and it's always really nice to have the shoot and see it all kind of start to come together Mm. that's the first time that everything's really together and we start to kind of put it in context before it goes into the magazine um so that's all very exciting yes the lunar issue coming moon to tell and tell where we tell each other and you guys what we've been knitting what's on your needles right now Lydia well I've been making some top secret items from uh the knits about winter book from Emily Foden's <gasps> oh, yeah. book I know. this is a rubbish podcast so all these things See? we can't tell you about yet <laughs> I know it's really silly I tried to um revive my Instagram because although pom-pom has a very active Instagram the uh Lydia personal Instagram has been a little uh it's in hibernation and why do you think that is i don't know i think i'm not naturally a a, a social media i like looking at other people's things i'm mm-hmm. a lurker oh, uh, that's not good is well, it well we've all done that yeah we've all done that so i think i just had a bit of a lurk face okay where i lurked more um <laughs> and then i started making things that aren't shareable yet so i don't know really what i was thinking there <laughs> sabotaging you myself you need to go for like the subtle like knit detail it's true. I should probably do that, shouldn't I? Anyway, so you're making anyway, things so I'm people making can't some see. things with lovely Viola yarn that I picked up when I was in Canada in uh, February. Uh, but I've also dun 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 finally finished my soiree. Hey. So I do need to get some pictures of it, but I've managed to finish it when it's 30 degrees outside and it's made of mohair. And I put it on just for a moment to be like, oh, I finished it, and then like immediately it was like, oh god, too hot, take it off. Um, so I guess I'll maybe just get some pictures of it on a hanger or something okay, for yeah, now. Yeah. Or maybe in the evening, maybe a twilight pic. Ooh. Ooh. Um, so that's been quite exciting. I haven't, because of the moving, 
uh, and the slight upheaval that that has caused. I haven't really, I had lots of sewing projects on the go, um, which are still, uh, which I haven't done much with them. <laughs> I think the only thing I've possibly made since we last uh, did this is the Merchant and Mills t-shirt pattern. Mm-hmm for my man friend very nice lucky guy yes and he appreciated it very much and it was a lovely pattern to make i really enjoyed it Mm. really uh it was the first time i'd sewn ribbing to a thing and it went well good and he likes it he likes it he's worn it many times he got some compliments on it the first day he wore it he got at least two compliments well there you go that's (laughs) that makes it worth it it does all right what about you what you've been what you've been doing a boot um i finished my tarmac which is very good I feel I should do a public service announcement about linen, which I knew, and then have to like remind myself and everyone else that linen is a bit loosey goosey, isn't it? <laughs> a bit stretchy wetchy. You stretch on a thing. <laughs> that gaugey wagey. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I did my gauge swatch. I'm using a linen yarn, so I'm using Quince and Co Sparrow, nice. matched with BC Garn Alba, which is cotton, because I wanted a very like. I don't often knit things for summer, mm. but issue 25, so that's where this pattern's from, is just so delicious. I was uh, intrigued. Yeah, I did my ghost swatch, but the linen has just uh, just moved into a different continent. <laughs> I guess the weight of the whole... That's the problem right. with swatches often is you you don't have the weight of the fabric to, yeah. um, to really show you how it's going to grow, and especially with things like linen and silk, they don't bounce Yeah, back. there's nothing to, you know, grab onto, really. And, you know, I feel if someone had said, like, I'm going to make this top of linen, I would have offered these pieces of advice, but I was just so gung-ho and fancy-free. <laughs> um, so it's, well, it's bigger than I expected. Sure. And I blocked it before I, like, so it's like a... We talked about it last episode. It's sort of like a vest top, like A-line, mm-hmm. like very, it's pretty loose and fancy free anyway. Um, and I blocked it and it grew. Pretty happy with this because mm. it's it's nice. It's nice to have a big top. I imagine myself wearing this at the beach and like throwing it over. Perfect. Um, the side boob is uh, something I've had to find alternative outfits for. Mm-hmm. Could you wear it over a dress maybe? Exactly. Like a yeah. sleeveless dress? Yeah. Nice. Or even a sleeve dress. I mean, it's up Ooh, to you. Yeah. I'm just thinking summer. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put some... Oh, yeah, I should say. We'll put pictures on the blog because uh, if you have any queries or you miss anything we talk about or a pattern we reference, like mm. Lydia was talking about the Merchant and Mills top, mm-hmm. you're like, I want to make one. Um, you can go to the Pom Pom blog where we have all the show notes, um, lots of fun pictures, and of course you can find links to all the Pom Pom stuff. Uh, so it's pompommag.com, as you could probably guess. Uh, so go... Go on the internet. Internet's fun sometimes. <laughs> uh, what else? I've been planning Vara, which is uh, like a t-shirt thing. Gee, everything's t-shirts. Uh, from issue 17. That's mm-hmm. one of the classic kind of uh, summery pom-pom. Yep. And I want to cast on a soiree, which is from issue 21, which you've just finished. Yeah. Because uh, Amy has one. She looks great. <laughs> Everyone's got one. Everyone's got one. Um, <laughs> so I want to jump on that bandwagon. So yeah, I think now I've finished Tarmac. It's quite nice to kind of yeah, get in the groove with some big projects, mm. get some garments on the needles. Yeah. I need to start a new one, really. Well, I'd like to make a summary thing, so I need yeah. to, because I, I wanted to make a tarmac as well, and then I was paralysed by choice for the colours for my tarmac. And then Megan um, is in London at the moment, which is really lovely, and she's wearing her Riley t-shirt oh, yeah. by Annie Christopher's from uh, from issue 25, the summer issue this year. And it's so nice. Yeah. So we'll get a photo nice. of her on the blog as well. Yeah. Course, so. um, yeah. I mean, there's just, um, obviously everything from that issue is great, but it's exciting when you see, I guess also because I saw Anna Maltz wearing her tarmac. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed that very much. Um, and after soiree took me like way longer than it should have. <laughs> Maybe it'd be quite fun to make something quite small, but still a garment. Yeah. Get that yeah. feeling of finishing a thing. Anyway, well, we hope you're enjoying your knits. Of course, you can always uh, join in on the knit-alongs, which we have on the Ravelry forums. Um, feeling in, if you want some inspiration, I find I always go on the yeah. forums. I'm like, oh, I want to do that one with that colour. So, like the um, lady who made a Jerumi for her and her dog. Oh, yeah, we've got that on the Instagram. <laughs> that was so great. So, now I want a tiny dog to so make great. jumpers for. I just want a tiny dog full stop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're looking at the Sheepyears Linen Soft, which you may recognise from issue 25, uh, The Laden Tea, which mm-hmm. is by Natalie Sellers, um, which is, if you can't call that in your mind's eye, it's like a mustardy top and it's got this great uh, geometric middle panel mm. of like diamonds. Yeah, kind of chevrony yes. patterns, it, uh, but they're all at sort of slightly different angles. It's kind of like a modular knit. A little stripey, you might have been <laughs> Yeah, it involves stripes. Curious. So now you've got that in your mind's eye, uh, we're going to talk about the yarn, uh, which is an amazing mix of cotton, linen, and a tiny bit of acrylic, which, you know, I'm going to be honest, a little acrylic content, mm. I'm going to feel a little bit wary sometimes. For sure. I think acrylic is not something we overall at Pom Pom lean towards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, we were all a bit like, oh, acrylic in this yarn, but it's just such lovely stuff. Yeah. It works perfectly for that top because it kind of gives it... Like the yarn um, is quite structury in a way. Yeah. Like it's not the drapiest of yarns, um, but it's still for summer, you know, because it's got all those lovely summery fibres. Mm-hmm. It's quite light feeling. Yeah. And I think with a, a mix of cotton and linen, as we yeah. said, I've experienced <laughs> with tarmac, giving that bit of acrylic, it gives a, a bit more structure, like you say, and mm. just allows the yarn to kind of have a bit more grip against each other. Yeah. Like the fibres. So you've got. Um, Again, like that structure. And uh, with the linen, it does feel a little stiff, but it's something that blocks beautifully. Mm. And once you get that hand, you know, you've handled it a couple of times, especially when you're knitting with it. And after a wash, you get that softening, but you also get that um, ability to sort of hold its shape, which I think this blend lends itself uh, amazingly to. Uh, It is machine washable. So uh, that's a nice bonus, maybe for like a summer baby blanket or things like that. Or even, you know, why not have uh, your own summer top like Layden? <laughs> um, Amy in the pom-pom office, she has used it for the Annie tee mm-hmm. by Gina Rockenwagner, which is also in issue 25, which is like the boxy tee. It's sort of in a black and a white and a JD turquoise mm-hmm. in the magazine. And she's gone for like this amazing like lilac and mustard and navy combo, which looks great. It is so really beautiful. We're all pretty excited about that. <laughs> and that was really fun to choose colours for as well because they really have lovely colours in that yarn. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we all know that there are fewer summery yarns to choose from. Mm-hmm. I feel like recently there's been more and more, like that summer knitting has kind of been more recognised as like a thing, which yeah. it is. <laughs> and it's so nice to have a summery yarn where you have that much choice. Mm-hmm. Where you're just like, wow, I've got so many great options for a colour. Because I remember when... Amy was choosing it was like we were all like looking at the shade cards yeah. together and getting really excited about um all of the possibilities and fun facts 
the name what does the name mean so well it means well we say we keep say, pronouncing sheepias we're yeah. trying to pronounce it in the most uh dutch way possible the name so it means little ships so it does look like it's sheepy yarn yeah i actually... thought it would just be like sheepies yeah <laughs> uh so the story goes that the little ships would travel down the canals in holland and deliver the wool to the factory to be spun and if you look at their little logo uh it actually has a little ship very nice so now you know why uh, it's called that. <laughs> so we've given you some examples from issue 25 of what we'd use this yarn for, but sort of any summary project, you want something light, you want something that's going to get sticky when you're working with mm. it, you know you've got a reliable yarn that's going to wash well and sort of hold its shape, um, beautiful colour range. We're, we're pretty happy with the sheep yeah. ears, you know. Defo. Uh, so you can check more on their website. Uh, we'll spell that again for you because... Uh, it's a new word for us. Yes. So it's uh, S-C-H-E-E-P-J-E-S. And of course, you can find more, see some pictures on the Pom Pom blog. So our interview, as uh, Sophie mentioned at the top of this podcast, is with Amy Small of Knit Collage, who um, is a wonderful sunshine person. Yes, that's the best <laughs> way to sum her up. So we spoke to her. Amy was kind of enough to invite me and Megan, you know, Megan, co-founder of Pom Pom. She was there while we were at TNNA in Ohio. Um, there's a little bit of background noise, which I have to apologize for. Um, little ruminations of noise, which can be expected one stays in a hotel. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but uh, you don't need to worry about that because Amy's, just her enthusiasm, her joy of creating and Knit collage yarns, if you haven't come across them before, which, you know, we let Amy do the explaining. Mm. They're this amazing, like, jumble of texture and hand-spun magic and sparkle, uh, which I think is <laughs> probably how i describe them. So um, we hope you enjoy, because we were really happy that Amy could join us. Small of Nick Collage. Hi, everyone. Hi. I like that you waved for the audio format just to get the I'm vibe. I'm probably going to talk a lot with my hands and it means nothing, right? <laughs> it means nothing to this That's all right. we'll podcast. They can picture it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My husband always makes fun of me when I write an email. I get really smiley or really upset. Me too. <laughs> my husband's like, what are you sm- laughing at? And I'm like... I'm in the middle of writing. I just did typing hands, by the way. (laughs) So you've got got the vibe, guys. Here we are. Um, So Amy Small, like I said, of Knit Collage. Uh, I wish we had a video format here because you are wearing one of your beautiful uh, designs, your Knit uh, knit Collage yarn. People haven't come across Knit Collage. How did it start? Tell us about the fiber story. Yeah, okay. So in a nutshell, I started as a sweater designer and I was working at Free People as a sweater designer and I was kind of known for these kitchen sink sweaters, which probably isn't going to surprise people that know my yarn because it kind of is a kitchen sink yarn, but I would mix like a jacquard with embroidery and beading and piece it like with a vintage placket and kind of all that kind of stuff. And that's sort of how, sort of how I got started. And during the time I was working there, I learned how to spin and it was really inspired by, 
uh, I think her name is Lexi Bogar. You guys might know of her. She, she wrote a book called The Handspun Revolution, which you can't even buy anymore. But it like blew my mind at the time because the yarn was art. And it was just, she'd sell one for like $60 and it was just insane. And so she was sort of the lady who changed it all for me. And after I had been working at Free Pivot for a while, I got a little burnout by the fashion industry because you have to come up with like, 20 cardigans per delivery and it's like 16 deliveries per year and after a while you're like I can't design another cardigan and I know all fashion isn't like that like if you work at Ace and Jig it's probably way more civilized but (laughs) where I was working it was just a, a burnout and there was something so appealing about designing a yarn that could be used year after year and not having it be this like fast fashion and at the same time I couldn't stop spinning I was like that nerdy girl who would like bring her wheel everywhere in fiber everywhere. And I had like the hand carters. Like, You're bring. so not the stereotypical spinner, I feel like. So like, I don't even know that many other spinners. Like I'm not that I'm friends with a lot of knitters, but I'm not super friends or people that are knitters, but maybe they spin on the side, yeah. but not like a hardcore. That's all I do with a travel wheel. That, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I had that. Yeah. And I remember like many holidays, I would be like watching TV with my family and like, I'd have my wheel going. <laughs> <laughs> but for them, they were like, oh, that's totally normal. Like, you, you, I, I always had like a collection of beads around me growing up. Like yeah. I was making things. So, but, um, but yeah, so I got this idea for the business and, um, I was working at free people at the time. And I think I, I sent an email out to a bunch of yarn store owners and I sent pictures of my yarns and I was like, would anybody be interested in these? And Susan Cropper from Loop, who you guys both know pretty well, um, she wrote me back and said, yeah, I want those yarns. I had no idea how to make them. I had no idea how to do it, but I was like, I got a business. Like, <laughs> I've got something here. And, and it all sort of started that way. And I had a lot of freelance jobs. I quit my job at Free People and I had like five or six freelance jobs that were actually continual, weren't project-based. They were like, someone pays me to design and work for them two days a week. And I had like five or six of those going at the same time. And I was able to set my schedule. So I always say like, if you're starting a small business, I recommend going freelance first because you can set your schedule and, and work the hours that you are like best at, like for me, mm. the mornings I would work on knit collage and then I would work on <laughs> else's stuff. Um, so in a nutshell, that's how it started. And I sent that yarn to Susan and I went to my first TNNA and got like eight orders, which wasn't very many, but one was Pearl Soho. And then really once I got in Pearl and loop, it took off from there and kind of snowballed, but it certainly hasn't been like an overnight thing. It's much, it's been like a, a slow, (laughs) you know, just kind of figuring it out as I go. But in a nutshell, that's kind of how it came to be. (laughs) That's amazing. And was your family crafty growing up? Did you get this? They are so athletic. (laughs) They are super athletic. And I always did sports, which I think was good for me to, I, I run, I love yoga. Like, I think it was good from the standpoint of just having a lot of different hobbies and being, a being on a team yeah. Yeah. and being athletic. And like, like my mom always, she swims for like two hours a day. And I love that she set that example for me from an early age that 
that time alone by herself doing something that filled her up was an example to us. I think it was a great example for me now as a mom. Two hours a day as a mom is a lot. Oh my God. And I'm talking about in the pool for two hours. So when, like when she goes, she's gone a long time, (laughs) like three hours or more. So, um, yeah. So, but they weren't like, they're like, they really pushed me to, um, do traditional careers. Mm -hmm. And so, but at the same time, my dad was always like supportive of whatever I wanted to do. And I appreciate that so much. He just was always like, Hey, he always thought I was going to be like the next Tory Burch because she grew up near me. (laughs) So he still is like, I love it every once in a while. He'll be like, oh, but when you make it like Tory Burr, <laughs> which I appreciate, but, um, but yeah, I mean, but very different. And I think sometimes they look at me like, what are you doing? But I think that's common for a lot of people in our industry. Maybe <laughs> yeah, I think I've reached a point where I don't care as much anymore. I'm just like, I gotta, I can only do this. And so I'm going to do it. And like, that's it. I can't try and please you. I think I've had stages where I've tried to do that and make him proud. And now I realize that when I try and do that, I fail anyway, because it's not in my heart to follow his path. So, but they've always been supportive. My mom, my mom signed up for the most recent knit along. She doesn't know how to knit. (laughs) And I wasn't teaching how to knit. I was teaching like how to graft, how to do just a tiny bit more complicated things than knit and pearl. And so we still haven't gotten very far with that, but supportive that she would like, yeah. Yeah. So fun. Well, I feel like we should talk about the yarn because knit collage is so distinctive and beautiful. How would you describe like your, your ethos, like your aesthetic aesthetic that you're going for? Yeah. I always say it's really happy. Um, totally is. I, I, I want it to be, all about people expressing their own individuality in whatever way. So recently I feel like a lot of the patterns we've got into are mixing yarns, like how to in one sweater mix six different yarns and make it your own. And we'll give you exactly what to use in the yardage, but really make it your own. Um, but the yarn itself has a lot of things spun into it. So it's for the most part, all hand spun, although I have some like, uh, cotton fabric yarns that we rip into kind of like a ribbon like yarn. Um, but a lot of it has like flowers and fabrics and lace, um, spun into it, sequins, little trims. And then I have other ones that are like, like this castaway is all like hand carded with, it might be like five or 10 different colors of fiber that they hand card and then they spin together. So I work with a small group of women in India that I taught how to spin around eight years ago. And it's almost all the same ladies we've had since the beginning. And so they spin it all and card and they even make most of the trims that are spun into it. So the recipe for each one is the same, even though each one is itself like handmade and different so yeah in a nutshell how did that start the sort of working with the group in India then well it um in the beginning I was in Hong Kong and I had moved there for free people and I really loved the city but I kind of wanted to figure out a way to make the yarn in a bigger scale so I had I think at one point I had nine ladies in this like tiny office with me and I wanted a reason to go to India because like my heart is just there 
if anyone's been to India, they get it. Well, a lot of people are love hate with India actually, mm. <laughs> but I have a real, like I go there and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> like I'm here. This is my jam. Aww. Like the trim markets are insane. And there's something I think culturally about the people that is very similar to Americans, but better because the things they have to deal with on a day-to-day basis that they can just cope with blows your mind. It's like, Oh, it flooded. No big deal. <laughs> Moving right along. You know what I mean? Or like, they're just so much more chill than, than us who are not used to so many inconveniences in our lives. So, um, I wanted an excuse to go there and I knew it was going to be a great place to make the yarn because so many things that in the beginning, my my yarns have gone more subdued, less trim heavy. But in the beginning, when I started, there was really a lot of trims, ribbons, sequins, and all of that stuff from a wholesale perspective to get was going to be a lot easier there. Um, and the trim markets, like I had known from my free people days, like I knew where to go and get it all. And what happened was I ended up taking a couple trips when I was starting the business and I tried to figure out like who would make this with me. And it was very much like I went on Google and was like, spinners, people, small people. And what I found was people spinning yarn like Gandhi with like their toes and a hand cranked wheel. And I explored it, but you couldn't add the trims that way. Mm. You could, if you see like recycled saris, mm-hmm. that kind of yarn, I, but you can't add a trim to it. So I really quickly realized like I was going to have to get the carters. Like if I was going to teach them, it was going to be my way of teaching them. So what I ended up doing is partnering with a woman I worked with at Free People, which was much better because I trust her and I had experience with her and one of the companies I had actually was going to start it with like they knocked me off and I'm so glad I didn't you know I'm just so glad I went with who I knew from five years of experience and so she helped me basically find the ladies and train them and I supplied the wheels and the carters and in the beginning a lot of the raw materials And now it's kind of, it's running and we have a lot of hiccups, but in the beginning, I mean, it took a really long time to get it to where it is. It took a really long time, but, um, now it's running. And when I go, I stay with her and she's like part of my family. Her grandkids are like, you know, it's just a lot of fun. So it, it's good. And we have the same ladies that have, one just got married. So she left actually to move in with, um, her husband's family and it's kind of far away, but we hired a new lady. So, but otherwise it's like the same ladies we've had for, um, it's amazing eight years. So it's great. And since my kids have gotten older, I've been able to travel more like two trips a year, which has been awesome because you come up like that new yarn I have, I didn't even have it in my head until I went on the trip and was like, Oh, this could be cool. And so there's just so many things you can do when you're um, there that, it's hard to, and they're now they're better spinners than me. So like they can do all these cool things that I can't even do. So it's like, it's been awesome. Does it sometimes work as a collaboration in that way that they're feeding stuff back to you ideas? It's usually though me sending them a yarn that I'm like, copy this. And then they make a really wonky, crazy sample. That's way cooler than I could have like (laughs) imagined or there's like, or on this past trip. I asked them to card a color that we've been running for forever, but the lady who was the carter, she's the one that got married and left. And so it was like the other carter who didn't usually do this combo. And she started, she made it totally different. She had flipped some of the numbers 
came out so much better. How does the color process work for you? So it's it's a lot of fun. We have I think around forty or fifty different fiber colors now that we've we have in our wheelhouse. So I if you think about it from a recipe standpoint, I can like it's infinite amount of possibilities. And it's this really wonderful thing where we have the minimum of like dyeing the fiber, which we dyed a mill, but from there, we can come up with whatever we want. So it's this wonderful, like, I don't really hold my, the stores that order from me to these big minimums because we can really do a lot of crazy things. So that's kind of how it works. When I'm designing a yarn, I usually, so I have all the fiber colors they have, everything they have, I have too. And I'll just kind of make little piles of it, sleep on it. And then Literally. like revise it. And then <laughs> I just, you better fiber, yeah. yeah. And then I revise it and I make all the recipes. It's just like an Excel sheet, mm. send them to them. And so that part's the easy part. It's more figuring out the spin, the, yeah, we'll tweak the recipes a little bit back and forth, but usually by the third try, we've like nailed it to look like the original I spun. So and it's really simple. I mean, it took me a long time. Like the first things I shipped, I was embarrassed by. Like I look back and I'm like, ah, how did that make it pass? You know. <laughs> but I think a lot of small businesses feel the way. same way, right? Yeah, totally. You're, you guys did not have that. Your first well... first issue was stunning because <laughs> I know I got it like recently. I got like the <laughs> revised edition. Yeah. Or... Well, that looks different than the yeah. original. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it was beautiful. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. I wish I had been like that crystal clear with my branding and like you guys were from day one. It helps when you're yeah, married to a graphic designer. designer. <laughs> I could use that. I'm definitely going to use that. Um, I wanted to talk about something I read on your website, which was a quote from you about um, you've learned to lean into the things that are weird or set us apart. Oh my gosh. Well, this is like the core of like what I want my business to be all about is just people embracing like whatever weird, crazy interest they have and not knitting the thing exactly maybe how I knit it, but making it your own and experimenting and adding your tweaks, which is one of the things we all love about knitting, right? Yeah. Like when you get to a certain level, like I love seeing the tweaks people do and that, and I think also just to be an example of having this pretty weird out there business and making it like that to me is a real inspiration to just be like, yes, if I can do this weird thing, you can do whatever weird thing you want to mm -hmm. do too, you know? And for my kids too, to be like, you can make whatever you want from nothing. And it can be a lot of fun. It doesn't have to be serious, you know, and just do it and run with it. And I think every time I've tried to be, something that doesn't feel like me like people people come into the booth and they're just like what is going on here and it's fresh <laughs> in my mind because we're at the tnna right now <laughs> but i think that the times i haven't been true to that are the times i failed you know mm -hmm. and the times it hasn't worked so i really learned that the best thing i could do for my business is to lean into all the things that make me me totally and that's what i care about most in setting that example even if it's just for my kids i don't yeah. even care if it's for two people yeah. like that's <laughs> enough you know cuz it's not like i have some crazy audience but just to be whatever if it's two people i don't even care just to be setting some type of example that you can create something from nothing and have it sustain your 
livelihood mm-hmm. and support your family and the life that you want. And it doesn't have to be anything that's cookie cutter on the beaten path. You can create, you know, what you want. That's well, really, I mean, if you're starting a business, you better make it different. Yeah. It has to right? be the same, right? You can't <laughs> yeah. do, you can't, it's so much harder now to make it if you are doing it, everything else. So yeah. I'm like, yeah, let's do that crazy $50 skein yarn and like somebody wants rainbow unicorn, <laughs> whatever. And let's rock it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've never really seen anything that's like knit collage. So no, there's nothing like it. I wanted to stay that way. I really do. So I, I love that you're saying that. <laughs> it's a really important thing for me. And I think now that I have the podcast too, and that's a, means to highlight some businesses that are doing the same thing. It's been a really wonderful way to shine a light on other people that are kind of in their way, living these kind of off the beaten path. Like you have a detached garage where you've got this like sick, sick office, (laughs) like, but my daughter's right there, you know, work at home situation. Like so many of us, that's what we all want, you know? So, and it's not like it's, it's not rainbows and unicorns all the time. Yeah. It's freaking hard and it has its ups and downs and everything's on you if you don't work and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, that's a big reason why that's a big why for me, if not the, the why. <laughs> well, you just mentioned the podcast. I wanted to ask about that. Cause, yeah. uh, so, you know, we like podcasts. <laughs> and I did have Megan on in the early days, yeah. which was phenomenal. So and I would, you know, suggest that anyone hasn't listened to that to go and hear her story the the story of how she just picked up and moved to austin is phenomenal for anyone <laughs> if you haven't discussed that on your own podcast to go we have not take a listen should, yeah definitely listen to amy's podcast <laughs> there's also interviews with amazing yeah, people and it's not just uh yarn people i have like i just had a florist on and i had this amazing painter that lived in my old building um who was a vietnam war vet who is one of the most downloaded episodes too i love that because no one really knows him although he is a very well-known painter like um no one in my audience like that's more fiber is really knows him so yeah it's pretty much all about people living off the beaten path lives and um creative small business so i ask a lot about their story like you have um I ask about like routines. I love morning routines and night routines. I'm like, serious. Yeah. she asked me that question and I'm like, I'm not a morning person. <laughs> and usually people have a night. It's true. You know yeah, what I mean? Usually people have something, yeah. even if it's not a morning, like I'm like weirdly nosy like that. <laughs> it is interesting. I so right now I want to ask your routine now. So. Well, I'm of course crazy <laughs> because I'm really into morning routines, but it's like that. I ask about how people get through failure. I'm really interested in that as a small business owner. Um, and I'm also really interested in what people are reading and listening to while they do their fiber craft. Yeah, kind of in a nutshell, that's what it's about. <laughs> okay, disclaimer part two, we've uh, relocated to a quiet location in the bathroom. Uh, so this is a podcast first. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Loving it. Yeah. Getting to know each other in a whole different level. Yeah. <laughs> We're all sitting on the floor of the hotel bathroom. Um, so I'd love to hear about your morning routine. We had that. Yes, uh, definitely. So I I guess 
if I'm asking about it on my podcast, I'm clearly like a big morning routine person. So I do a meditation. I'm like a big fan of meditation. And I just find that like my problems become, all my stresses become like more chill. I, I finish and I'm like, ah, all is peaceful. What's the problem? And even if I go through the whole day and it gets worse and worse and worse, it just helps me, especially with feelings of like overwhelm, like just feel like it's okay. It's only yarn. It's going to be okay. Um, so I do that in the morning and then I usually do a little like appreciation list of just anything that it could be anything from coffee to the new house recently. Um, a lot of times it's just my kids, but when you start your day for like 10 minutes appreciating everything, you're like, oh my God, yeah, all the good stuff. Life's freaking awesome. Or sometimes like, I'll just be like, what has good, like bigger picture, what good things have happened this year? And if I can focus on that, even though some really bad things have happened too, but just focus on the good, it helps you have a good day. It helps me a lot have a good day. And then usually that's it. And then if I have any extra time, I'll like dive into work and planning my day. And I do love working before my kids wake up and getting a head start on the day. So yeah, I wake up at five and I kind of get an early start, but I go to bed really early. So I'm a big time morning person. So yeah, in a nutshell, that's what I do. I feel like your yarn is like your happy personality too. It's it's so kind. (laughs) There's a store that came in today called Cheers to You, like E-W-E. I'm like, you need to be selling my own. This is a very happy name store. And I think it's going to be a good partnership. Um, So speaking about good, happy things... um, yeah, I feel like you have like a huge knit collage kind of family with all the people who usually on all the knitters. Um, tell us about yeah that. Yeah, it's so much fun to see. It's really through the hashtag knit collage on Instagram that I really get to see what people are making, and it blows my mind. And I'm sure you have this with your pom pom patterns that what they create is so much cooler than what you could have imagined. The color combos. It's always it's amazing. The yeah. Yeah. It's the woman who knit her dog a matching Did you see that? sweater. Stop. Yeah. No, I'm going to need to see that immediately <laughs> after we finish. Like, 100%. Yeah. yeah, it broke the internet. Yeah. Yeah. It was, like, the most liked Instagram post we had ever done. And, be, and rightly so. Oh my god, how did I miss that? I'm, where have I been? But that was like a happy That is happy so thing. cool. Yeah, I try and like now I'm really trying to like share them on my stories, yeah. the things that people post. And a lot for us, it's a lot of weavings. Yeah. Um, yeah. All sorts of creative different things. And sometimes it's just where they brought it. I love seeing like, oh, someone was in Iceland knitting something. Or pom pom, I bet is that way too. You're like, where are you knitting this? It's so cool to see. Um, yeah, so that's been really fun. And then I started doing knit alongs recently that have been great too, because I just feel like I get to connect with people on a whole different level and teach a little bit. And um, it really becomes more about the community side of it. So that's been really a fun thing where I do these knit alongs twice a year. And we have a little private Facebook group and we get to know each other. Like we all follow each other, start following each other's like Instagram accounts and commenting on everything. And so that's been a really fun, fun way to connect to some of the people that are knitting with our yarns on a d- deeper level. Um, and also have to have them connect 
over it too has been really awesome. So yeah, that's been really fun to see all happen. <laughs> what, what kind of pe- things people say about your yarns? What do they say about knitting with it? Well, I think, you know, it's, I feel like we have to educate people too. Like the, especially for spring, we were doing the cotton fabric yarn and it's pretty ripped frayed edges and it's knotted together. So like in the beginning, I do a video all about like, it's supposed to be this way (laughs) and it's all like printed from vintage saris that I found like at a rag seller in India. So you'll find the borders of the saris throughout too. So it's not going to be this homogeneous like pattern. Which is the magic of it, yeah. So everybody's sweater looks different because you never know when these borders are going to repeat throughout. And so there's a fair amount of just teaching people like, no, it's that's right. It's supposed to be that way. That's what I had in mind. Um, but yeah, I think people, no one has been mean or bad. People have been really like, that I wish I did that colorway. That looks amazing. Really, really supportive. Um, but it's definitely different for people than knitting on a size six needle or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's been, we do have, it's so interesting. We have a fair amount of experienced knitters that are knitting, um, you know, Stephen West or like some of the more popular designers out there. And then we have a lot of beginners that have never knit a sweater before. So it's kind of a range for the knit along. It's really hard to set the pace because some people finish in a week because it is a big needle. And if they're more experienced, they're like, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. But most people don't finish when I say like, I feel like that's just normal. All of us, it takes longer. We have so many, whips like it's just like it takes a while so most people are like slower but we do have every it is a size this this passing along was i think a size 17 so it goes pretty fast yeah something like that so it goes pretty fast so yeah it's a lot of fun (laughs) yeah i knit um christmas stockings and knit collage uh this past christmas and it was key because i could finish them like in a day and they were so cool. So cute. Yeah, so there's one for each each of us in my little family. Oh, that's amazing. And amazing pom-poms. This yarn makes amazing pom-poms. Very important. Yes. yes. Very, very important. <laughs> for a pom-pom. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, one of our classic questions we do on the podcast is Desert Island Yarn. Love this question. <laughs> so you're cast upon a desert isle. You get all the colors, infinite supply, but you can only bring one yarn. And is there a climate? We've kind of been lenient, so people can imagine that climate. Oh, how cool. So it's so funny because, of course, I would want to knit with my yarns, but I knit with my yarns all the time already. (laughs) So, like, after a trade trade shows, I usually have a lot of knitting to do leading up to it. So after a trade show, I always let myself knit something that's not in my yarn. So I think I would have to go with, like, I just have a crazy stash. So no one yarn is like popping into my mind, but I love being able to like, like some of the sweaters that I've knit of Stephen West, like my Penguano. And mm. I just did another pullover one where I just mix like 5,000 yarns from my stash and my yarns. in a co- So I know you're asking me for one and this is a very hard, but like, I know when we were in Rhineback, I got a lot of like primrose yarn that was like, the colors were just off the hook. I always, if I'm not doing my yarn, do a fair amount of Anzula because at the trade shows I can score some, <laughs> but Manos is one of my favorite brands ever. 
I just love like everything they're doing is so similar to what I'm trying to do in my business too. So they're one of my favorites. And I think all, all of those sweaters have incorporated all of those yarns, but I, I generally just like the really expensive, fancy stuff. <laughs> I can't, like, I'm allergic to anything that's like bad yarn. I can't go there. Like special yarn. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I was moving recently, I just, all my stash that was bad. I was like, and you're not coming. <laughs> so I, just, I, it's hard for me to say, I would probably want some of like our spun cloud yarn that I could I go, I could stuff. knit forever and ever. And I have a gazillion ideas, but then I probably want something like just a plain yarn that I could knit in a thousand different patterns too, in a gorgeous color, like the primrose yarns too. So it's a hard question for me. I feel we've had a lot of answers. That's good. I'm <laughs> Sorry, I don't even know. I don't even know that. I just don't know because when I knit a sweater that's not my yarn, it's a crazy sweater. Yeah, that uses five. That's like my dream project, you, and it would keep me busy for a non-desert island. You found the loophole there with I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you even close a picture of those sweaters to give people a picture. Yeah. Yeah. No, if you haven't seen Amy's kimono, it's amazing. Sorry, I, we need to. Yeah, yeah, we'll link a picture. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's bad. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been wonderful chatting to you and uh, all hearing all about your yarn. Obviously, people are going to want to know where to find more about your yarn and Instagram, social. Tell us those things. Yes, of course. So my website's a great place to start, just nickcollage.com. And then same on Instagram, Facebook, although I'm not on there a ton. Really, Instagram's the better way. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, all the emails for my business go to me that you'll find on the website because it's a pretty, <laughs> pretty small business just, yeah. over here. <laughs> so info, Amy, and Nick Collage, they all go to me. Yeah, so. and the podcast, Nick Collage? It's called Collage Creative, mm-hmm. actually. So that kind of incorporates anything I want to incorporate ever in it. So <laughs> keeps it a little bit broader than just knitting. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Amy. Thank you for having me. Thank Thank you. you so much. Thank you, Amy. Do you uh, feel like you were there, Lydia? I do. And it was so nice because I got pleasure also of meeting Amy at Rhinebeck Mm. last year and I didn't get to hear enough about all the lovely things that she does so it was really nice to hear her properly and she just is such a um, like lovely exuberant presence. Reminds you why it is good to work in the industry we do. I say industry that makes it sound more intense than it is but uh, (laughs) to be inspired to make by the makers that's Mm. always a good thing so uh thanks again amy all right uh on to text files (laughs) 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 what does it mean (laughs) Uh, i feel we need to make that a proper jingle but until now you just get us singing uh the approximation of that theme tune so very happy to say that uh, someone on the Ravelry forums, whose Rav name is About the Yarn, mm. we're good. We like you. you you're About the Yarn. <laughs> All so, about the yarn. So are we. Uh, she suggested several um, things for text files, and I've just taken one for now, mm. um, which is hanging by a thread. Ooh. Ooh. So what does this phrase conjure to you, Lydia? Uh, a situation which 
is oh my god, I don't know if I can describe it without just saying hanging by a thread. <laughs> uh, you know when you're in jeopardy of hanging. some kind, like um, there's not much holding it together. Uh, could go wrong at any second. Yep. Yeah, so something's ready to fall apart. The situation can change. Uh, It can be applied to physical things, situations, and ideas. With text files, we're digging a little deeper. We're going to find a little bit more about that phrase. So the term, hanging by a thread, which can also be uh, hanging by a hair. Oh. Oh. So it derives from a banquet that King Dionysus held for Damocles. Oh. Which maybe might ring a bell in your... uh, Schoolings, (laughs) Schoolings, <laughs> a courtier of the ancient Syracuse. So uh, the king was beginning to become annoyed because Damocles, of uh, his constant flattery of the king, so he invited him to the banquet where Damocles was seated under a sword suspended by a single hair. Ah, the sword of Damocles. Yeah, See, it's all starting to make sense now. This was said to symbolise his uh, tenuous position in the court. <gasps> so not only was the sword hanging by a thread, but also Damocles' life. So this gave rise to the idea that someone can have the sword of Damocles hanging over them, meaning they are in a very precarious situation. Interesting. Yeah. I don't think I knew... I've heard the phrase sword of Damocles. Mm. I knew what it meant. Yeah. But I didn't know the genesis of that meaning. Mm-hmm. There we go. I've learned so many things. I know. Well, that's text files. The wool is out there. So if you... <laughs> So if you have any phrases that you thought, hmm, I think Sophie and Lydia should delve deeper into the uh, archives of wool and find out the meaning of that, then um, you can always get in touch on the Ravelry forums where we have a little chattage there. Or we do have an email address, which is uh, podcast at pompommag.com. And yeah, I want to believe that you'll provide some <laughs> options. So many good text files, X files jokes. Yes, you got in there. Well done. I've never actually seen the X files. What? <laughs> you can be Scully and I'll be Mulder. Okay. <laughs> I can't remember which one's which. I'm. You're the skeptical one. Oh really? Yeah. No, you're skeptical. You're more skeptical. Oh, okay, I'm Scully. I always did want to be Scully, really. So well, there we go. You can be Mulder. You, you're the one who believes, and I'm the one who's like, I don't know, man. This doesn't seem that scientific. Okay. Anyway, doesn't matter. Convoluted. Convoluted. X-Files chat here. I'll go watch some co- uh, episodes of X-Files before next. Uh... <laughs> I prefer my episodes of Text Files. So there we go. Okay. Uh, yes. Well, but... thanks to About the Yard for... <laughs> yes, thank you. She did, I, there's actually quite a few suggestions. So I think we'll be mining that rich uh, nugget of mm-hmm. chattage. <laughs> wool, 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 wool. And now to top three, our most uh, stubbornly present <laughs> uh, section for this podcast. You're making it sound like a really nice stain. <laughs> hey, we love top three. We love top three. Um, and you guys do too. Yeah, everyone loves a top three. I I'm trying like to convince you. <laughs> you do I feel too, like yeah. everyone likes, I don't know, maybe not everyone, but most people I know like to make a list to oh, sort yeah. of rank things. It's a fun thing to do. Um, something I used to do at school quite a lot was just make, you know, random top 10 lists. Um, and now I've continued that into my adult life, but just shortened them to top three lists. Yeah. Um, for anyone who hasn't really listened to this or maybe hasn't made it this far in the podcast, <laughs> I don't know. Um, this is the segment where we pick a subject, could be a food, could be a cultural thing of some, or like, uh, could what be we, a smell, could be a smell, could be, what have we done in the past? Pet peeves, that yeah. kind of thing. Almost anything. Um, yes, so for this episode, our um, 
subject that we are ranking our top three art exhibitions we have seen. Mm. Um, we were thinking that because um, issue 25, there was a lot of influence of um, painting, more specifically, I suppose, mm-hmm. artists who painted. Uh, we used a lot of inspiration, uh, both in the knits, but also in the names that we uh, applied to the patterns. If you're curious about these, you can find them in the blurbs of magazine indeed for example we had uh, the riley tea mentioned mm-hmm. earlier named for um bridget riley the well, annie tea Oppart, annie tea annie yep. albers who's a weaver mm-hmm. uh, so yeah why not uh, have a little delve into the realms of google if you're curious about the kind of patterns um and bits that they did yeah yeah worth a look uh, we thought it'd be fun to talk about um exhibitions that we've seen that we've really loved yep i I feel cross at myself now that we've talked about the female painters that inspired that and i've gone for all male exhibitions Uh bloody patriarchy silly old patriarchs (sighs) lifting up men's work more than women's i'll have to go see some women uh exhibitions this summer to counteract it so um yes very wise that being said uh (laughs) what about you let's uh, start with you why not okay we can go with me i'm just gonna lift up this piece of paper Oh, rustle my notes. Look, there's some good notes on there. Yeah. Tasty notes. So earlier I asked Sophie whether I was trying to... I saw an exhibition in Lisbon in 2010 Mm -hmm. and I couldn't remember who it was. It might have been several artists, for example. I couldn't remember which gallery it was in. I couldn't remember basically anything about it except that I uh, had a few artworks that had really stuck in my mind. And I said to Sophie can I have that as one of my top three? And the answer was no. And this was very wise. Because... Well, no, just because could you ha- You said, could I talk about an exhibition that I can't remember where it was or the name of anyone? And I said, quote, I said, I think you know the answer already. So yeah. you can't talk about something you don't have any useful information about. Concrete links to. Fine. So I've gone for the It'd be like talking about a dream. Like, so I was like, oh. It was a bit like a dream because one of the pieces was a sort of fiber optic flower maze that was Ooh. amazing. Amazing. Uh, an amazing maze. Anyway, moving swiftly on to things that I do know when and where and who. <laughs> well, maybe someone listening will know what you were talking about. That would be amazing. That, that would be great. Okay, so just very quickly in case. It was in 2010. It was in May. Mm-hmm. It was in Lisbon. Okay. One of the pieces was a giant shoe. <laughs> okay, this was a dream. <laughs> and there was a swing of some kind. I'm pretty sure it was a female surrealist artist. Okay. If anyone does know what that sounds like, I would be... I've tried to Google it, but I don't speak Portuguese and it's very confusing. Okay, moving on to my top three. It was very hard to rank these because in my mind, they all sit on a similar plane of how much they inspired me. So Mm -hmm. it's almost quite arbitrary, I think, the way that I've ranked them, just as a caveat. Artitry. Arbit... Art. 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 We're talking about art. We like art. I don't know about you, but I care about culture. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm into the arts. Yeah. Okay, now that we've got that out of the way. Okay, at number three, I have um, an exhibition that I happened upon in the V&A. Living in London, I think it's fair to say we're very lucky. Um, And it's not that the arts only happen in London. They should happen more elsewhere, I think. The UK is very focused. And they do. But the UK is very focused on London in some ways, too focused. Mm. But it does... uh, We are lucky to be very close to very large, world-class galleries. And I was... In the V&A, just browsing, as I do sometimes. And I came across a really beautiful exhibition by a photographer called Richard Leroyd. Since this, I think it was 2016, and it was quite a small exhibition. Um, you know, you could have walked around it in sort of 20 minutes kind of thing. But you took your time. 
I went back several times mm. as well. Um, so the thing that made these photographs very special is that they are created using a life-size camera obscura. For those of you who aren't sure what that is, a camera obscura is basically a pinhole camera. Um, but it's kind of before photography was something that you would fix onto film or like a light sensitive material of some kind and then could reproduce. Um, people made camera obscuras, which is basically a room with a very small hole in it, which is like the aperture of the camera. And then what would happen is the light would autom would come through that uh, and project itself onto the back wall of this room, which is exactly what happens inside a camera is the light. And it's in everything's upside down. Mm -hmm. So what you could do is be inside this camera and you could look at the things outside. And then at some point people managed to fix things. So what Richard Leroyd has is these massive pieces of light sensitive paper, which is what photographs are printed on now. But the magical thing about it is that it's not film. So each of these exposures are a one-time thing and you can't really make reproductions of them. And because of the way they're created, because they're, they're pictures of people often, um, they're really beautiful and they're life-size. And there's something about the way that they're made that means that you really feel like you're just looking at a person, that they're just mm. so, I mean, photo real, obviously it's a photograph, but it's on a different kind of level. But also I think because of the medium, there's just something about the colours and the way that it looks. It's really, really magical. But the thing that really struck me um, was that there were photographs of mirrors, of like old mirrors with kind of silvering mm. come off. And because there's no camera in the way they're just photographs of mirrors with no reflection in them Ooh. so that you can look at the beauty of the mirror because those kind of i think i've got a real soft spot for old-fashioned mirrors yeah. where the silver has sort of degraded slightly and you get a kind of beautiful like mottled effect um but you can look at it really closely without seeing your reflection and it's really cool there's something really magical about that and also really lovely pictures of like the sky and and similar sorts of things um and he was definitely a big influence on the photo shoot that we just did. Um, I think one of the things that's magical about his work is the process, is the fact that... So these pictures, you know, you can look at them online and they look lovely, but there's up close or like in real life, they're amazing. And knowing the way they're produced added an extra mm. element for me. And it was, yeah, just something I kind of walked past and was like, you know, because the V&A is gigantic and yeah. at any one time there's however many massive exhibitions and displays and so on. Anyway, so that's number three. That was quite a long, oh, no, <laughs> long-winded I'm, I'm there. I'm description. <laughs> okay. So at number two, I had two possibilities. I think I'm going to go with the Alexander, again, V&A, mm -hmm. Alexander McQueen exhibition. thought you might do that. I think that was 2016 as well. Um, yeah, I should have double-checked the dates, but it's not like people could go see it right now at the V&A, but it might be elsewhere. I feel like it's one of those exhibitions that I think did it, a bit of touring. Yeah. It was in New York for a bit. Yeah. Um, so this was an exhibition of, you know, like a retrospective basically of Alexander McQueen's work throughout his life. And of course, um, very sadly he died young. Yeah. I think we talked about it on the podcast when we'd gone, to, we'd both gone to see it. Yeah, definitely. It was, yeah, we said how much it moved us and how inspiring it was, but it was just a really astounding, it was very well curated because it was quite a large exhibition. You moved through different kind of phases of his creative life you know through different collections I suppose and different inspirations um but yeah I think it was really well curated I think um exhibitions like that one really showed for me like the power of um how you lay something out because mm. I think it really did reach a crescendo where you'd kind of because sometimes exhibitions accidentally just like boop at and the like, end and then well because 
So the timeline of the exhibition is because at the end, you know, he committed suicide and you sort of the going through progressing like his is, you know, a degree collection or whatever. Mm. And I think there was that, there's obviously that build up towards the end of it where it is, you know, um, the end. Yeah. And then at the end, there had been a show where Alexander McQueen had recreated a kind of Victorian technique for... Was it Victorian? I don't know. Yeah, an older, more an older technique for um, you know bringing ghosts to life that involved kind of like mirrors. And oh, what was it called? Pandora's? No, can't what it's called now. Sorry, I should have done a bit more <laughs> research before this. We'll put the notes on the blog where you yeah use kind of mirrors to project. Um, Petra's uh, ghost? No, I can't remember now. We'll find out. But he had used this sort of old technique to create a kind of ghostly vision of of Kate Moss in this beautiful sort of flowing ethereal sort of floofy gown like a white gown and there was kind of little recreation of that and it doesn't sound I don't know I don't know how I'm making it sound but it was very very moving for some reason it was just very beautiful it kind of if I may it was sort of each room created a world Mm. like you were in his world and his stories and thoughts but it was just a really beautiful moving exhibition I went to see it two times and yeah found it really magical and number one was the Georgia O'Keeffe exhibition. Oh, yeah. At the Tate Modern a couple of years ago. Um, it was like their big sort of summer blockbuster. And yeah, again, I'm, I feel like these could have all just been number ones, free ones. Mm. Um, <laughs> ones across the board. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think probably we also talked about on this podcast. Mm. I feel like I'm probably reiterating various things um, that I've already discussed. But I went to that exhibition... I knew, you know, everybody's, I think most people have seen uh, George O'Keeffe's paintings of flowers. I don't mean in real life, but seen like reproductions of them or yeah. um, they're quite, well, they're very famous. Uh, and that's all I'd seen of her work before I went to this exhibition. And I was like, oh, that'll be nice. I'll go see some paintings of flowers. <laughs> and I don't think I, um, yeah, I had no idea how like ahead of her time she was in terms of being an abstract painter and just her use of colour was so magical. And again, the skulls, cool. Like, like a few skulls. <laughs> um, I guess I don't have as much to say about that one, just that it really, I think because I had gone to it, it's not like I wasn't expecting much. I mean, you're going to like a big exhibition mm. of a famous artist, but because I didn't have a lot of pre-existing ideas about what I was going to see and what I was going to feel, um, it really did, it, the fact that it did affect me that much was um, kind of more like struck me more yeah i suppose i I think it's something to be said for seeing when you have seen reproductions you've seen stuff in books Mm. seeing an actual painting with the the scale like yeah how it's intended i think that makes a huge effect definitely and just the colors she uses are so i don't know what i really even mean by the word modern but they just didn't Mm. strike me as painting you know some of them uh, many of them i could have seen and, you know, if it had said it was painted last year, I'd be like, yep. Yeah. You know, she really, just her use of colour and, and um, yeah, I just, I found that, that exhibition just, there was something also very, uh, like, almost, like, soothing about it. It was yeah. very moving, but very calming in a way that the other, Alexander McQueen, for example, wasn't like that at all. It was not calming, yes. It was more, yeah, there was some kind of odd sense of urgency and not just because there were, like, people around you, yeah. but just because of the way, I think it was presented in the way it sounds like he worked whereas in the Georgia O'Keeffe exhibition I don't know much about the way that she worked but the paintings created yeah very a feeling yeah. of calm for me 
Well, uh, going back to McQueen, he said mm. he wanted to create outfits for women that would make him feel scared of them. So, <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's my... There was a strong contender with, of Louise Bourgeois, which I saw at MoMA last year. Mm. Um, well, but... I mean, if you're, if you're a textile person, which you are, and you haven't yeah. checked out Louise Bourgeois before, then uh, get involved. Definitely because, uh, do. She's yeah. pretty magic. Yep. Um, all right, so what's all right. your top three? Um, well, going through the archives of the internet to check what date these exhibitions were, I suddenly was like, wow, that was many, many years ago. Whereas mine are all from like the last few years, well, basically. I don't know why. I mean, why not? I think that's the sign of a good exhibition if it sticks in your head. Mm. Or maybe I was just very impressionable around that time. <laughs> Who knows? Um, I am going to uh, pop back to the V&A with you and uh, talk about the David Bowie exhibition, which was uh, 2013, which I was surprised Gosh, at. that does feel like it was more recent than that. Yeah. I never saw that, which I was, is ridiculous. Well, didn't go. You, if you had, you'd be at one of the most one of the most visited shows, or the most visited show in the V&A's history. Hmm. So uh, I'm jumping on that bandwagon yeah. and saying, um, I mean, to start talking about David Bowie, a lot of people have talked about David Bowie because, of course, he died in 2016, which, again, doesn't really seem... Like, yeah. It seems like it wasn't that long ago. And mm. uh, now we're talking... God, three years... What year is it? Uh, two, two, two years, years ago. I was going to say... Two and a half, I guess, because he died at the beginning of the year. The thing that I came away from that exhibition was, like, I should just go and be as fantastic as David Bowie. Like, yeah. that's the kind of feeling you want, maybe... You know, the sorts of feelings you can get from going to an exhibition or seeing a collection of work... Um, but that uh, the one thing I had with the exhibition is what he kind of was like David Bowie was born and then he became fantastic and there sort of <laughs> seemed to be this like jump of like but how wait how did he become and they're like and then he started writing songs and it was amazing and I kind of didn't I wish I'd seen more of the progression at the very beginning because mm. it was sort of dedicated to his sort of different chapters of his life and reinvention and style um yeah just uh the the magic of seeing all the influences that were very cleverly curation again, mm, mm. Um, referencing all the things that he used to inspire him and the artists and sort of designers and makers and people he worked with. Um, and it was very cool because you got headphones, you could listen to all the songs. Nice. Um, another point that wasn't touched upon was how uh, great his teeth became towards the uh, <laughs> end of the exhibition. It's like interesting, uh, the beginning of like Top of the Pops shows, you know, good set of gnashes but uh you know to use a cliche very english team yeah i was gonna say it's sort of classic what a, what a, like austin powers style <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end it's like god look at his teeth um and we've got new ones beamed down from space right exactly <laughs> um and at the end of the exhibition you could kind of sit in a massive space and they have projecting like songs and mm. footage uh i say projecting like uh video footage um yeah, I think that was... I wish I'd gone to see it again. Um, but that was uh, just something that reminded me of what a, what a cool guy and how we, indeed we can be as all magic as David Bowie. Yeah. I think there's the Caitlin Moran quote where she's like, David Bowie is like amazing because you could be like a weird snackletooth guy from London, from Brixton, and then become a magical alien. And she's like, and you're, like, you're in like a better position than David Bowie was because David Bowie didn't have David Bowie to make himself feel inspired. So... It's true. You need to think about that. Yeah, you trailblazed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number two, we're going to pop down the road to Tate Modern. Oh. So we're heading back to 2003 with Olaf Oliver Ellison, we're going to go with. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if anyone else recalls this, but uh, so the Turbine Hall, when you walk into the Tate Modern, because it is, 
It used to be like a power station and the turbine hall is exactly what it sounds like, where mm-hmm. the turbine was. So you've got a giant room where they often have uh, installation pieces. So this was at the end, you imagine a very long room. At the end, there was a giant orange sun. Oh, um, I remember this. Which, you know, in itself sounds you know fairly simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, but walking into the, such a huge space, which is grey concrete, and have it transformed into a glowing, warm sort of slightly misty and weird landscape, which, you know, was different, completely mm. op- you know, opposite to the grey that was outside. Um, it sort of had this strange effect on people, and the ceiling was mirrored at the end of the hall. So you could lie down and look at yourself in this weird orange light. Um, and I think that, because it was so unusual, mm. stuck, in my, stuck in my head as, a, as an experience more than anything. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that one. I remember it being very, very beautiful. Mm. Uh, number one. It's going to be number one. Uh, so this is we're going back to two thousand six now, guys. Okay. Um, and this is a very small exhibition by Grayson Perry called "The Charms of Lincolnshire," uh, which was at a place called the Collection in Lincoln in Lincolnshire. Unsurprisingly, so Lincolnshire is where I grew up, and it's a very rural um, area. It's very flat. So that's the links to its history. So Grayson Perry. Um, who, if you don't know, is a ceramicist, um, a transvestite. Mm. We'll put that, you know. Yeah, that's a, a fun factor of his work He's as well. Sort of personality now as well, isn't he? Yeah, in the art scene, I think uh, at the time, like he just won the Turner Prize, and he was kind of cool and groovy in the in the art scene. But now, you know, he's written so many books of talking about his process um, as an artist and how we view art. Mm. He's done so many interesting TV shows, like mm. talking about culture and class in the UK, mm. what it is to be a man, sort of his own sort of masculinity and his world as a transvestite and also with art, playing to the galleries, another interesting book by him. I mean, he's he's a brand in himself, yeah, isn't he, yeah. Mr. Perry? Um, very inspiring, interesting, very clever. So back to, back to Lincolnshire. Mm-hmm. Um, he had access to, uh, sort of over two years, he went through all the museums of uh, the county of Lincolnshire and collected artifacts, um, you know, tools, uh, folk art things, and put together a collection of uh, this uh, space, you know, in this space, and made his own pieces, which were responses to the historical items he'd collected. It was a very small exhibition, maybe only like one room, and it's quite folky and kind of weird, a bit p- pagan wicker mm-hmm. man. So it has, um, you know, those paintings, uh, embroideries, uh, sculptures, there was ironwork and ceramics, obviously from him, as well as the original pieces. But it was bizarre in the way they've been put together. So you weren't quite sure which was the original and which was his interpretation. Mm. I mean, that kind of stuck out for me as a very unusual kind of collection of what artists' response to the world could be. Mm. Because it was so folky. And I think uh, Grayson Perry's so focused on so many mediums, often with the ceramics and things, this sort of uh, handmade element Mm. to it. Well, guys, we hope that's inspired you to see what we hope is something nearby to, you know get your creative juices flowing yeah you do get a, it's a nice feeling to um to walk out of a a space that was just intended for you to look at something and think about it and you feel like rejuvenated mm-hmm. yeah if uh, you haven't got that we hope we provided this with this podcast yeah. i mean that's probably a bit of a leaf of the imagination <laughs> but uh thank you for listening guys you can always check out uh, everything on our website and on the ravelry forums we'd love to hear from you of course uh, so we'll see you next month 
We will, and we hope that you have a wonderful month in the meantime with many makings and possibly some nice outdoor activities. Hooray! Hooray! See you next month. Bye! Bye. Podcast is produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Scott, with help from Eli Block, who created the original music for this show. For more Eli-related music, go to goodgirlandthebadtimes.com. Thanks as always to Megan Fernandez, co-creator and editor of Pom Pom Quarterly, and also thanks to the lovely Amy and Gail, who helps out a lot with lots of stuff. Thanks to our interviewee, Amy Small, lovely sunshiny Amy Small, and our sponsors, Sheepius. And a big thank you to all you Pom Pom buyers, subscribers, and listeners. You can buy your copy of the magazine and subscribe too at our online shop, pompommag.com forward slash shop. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and why not leave a review? You can get in touch or send in ideas to podcast at pompommag.com. And don't forget to keep in touch with us via the podcast group on the Pom Pom Ravelry Forum. See you there. Oh, I've been we don't do stop anymore. <laughs>